Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 96, Reunited But Seth Don't Feel Good, recorded May 26th, 2013, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementopie.com. Yes, we're glad to have the gooey kid back with us this week. Unfortunately, he may have to mute his mic to puke a couple of times during the show. So if uh, if I throw it off to him and he's not there, you'll understand why. How's it going, Seth? Let's hope not. Uh, doing okay. Uh, still under the weather, but I don't know. So good to be home on a Sunday. That hasn't happened in a while. Yeah, so we, uh, we're glad to have him back. I sent him an ultimatum that said you are not allowed to miss another show. Uh, and then I saw later he posted on Facebook that he was had been th- sick, and, and I was like, I sent him a text, said, hey, are you going to be able to make it? He said, I'm going to be there if you don't mind if I'm sweating and shaking and, and pale. And I thought, well, who would notice the difference? It's Seth. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> and, it works. And the man who hasn't been away and is here to stay, yay, yay. I'm sorry. Uh, Mr. Chris <laughs> Neves, the command line godfather. Hi, Christopher. Hey, 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 guys. I'm glad to hear you're okay, Seth. You know, that Thank whole you. plane rides can kick your butt. Let's hope that's all it is. You know, people who ride on planes a lot get sick. It's it's an axiom. The, you're there and you're breathing farts of 200 people in the cabin with you. And, you know, it just, it happens. Everybody gets sick when they do, when they travel a lot. Airborne. Yeah, well, Airborne unfortunately, I've been traveling, you know, two flights, well, four flights every week now. So it's uh it's not the fun job I thought it would be. So <laughs> Yeah, but at least they're not paying you much, so that makes up for it. Well yeah, and I, I get screwed on my per diem and expenses, so basically it's just like every other job I've had for the last few years. So it's almost know, like working for the government. Don't seem to change. Yeah. <laughs> so this the title the show topic this week is our favorite Linux hacks or success stories. But that wasn't a very good title. <laughs> reunited but seth don't feel good is a better title uh but that's what we're going to be talking about this week just sort of a a roundtable discussion not any particular topic but just um a remembrance if you will of the times when linux has has done the uh unexpected or has saved you us in some way uh and that is a weak play off of the fact that tomorrow in the u.s is memorial day uh it is the day yes. in which we honor the um the dead uh, in wars past, those who gave their life in service to their country. Um, and just, you know, I just want to say a, a quick, um, I don't know, shout out seems like a, a, a disrespectful word, but a, a thank you to the, the widows and the orphans and the, the, the brothers and the, and the sisters and the people who uh, you made the sacrifice as well. Uh, you lost somebody you loved. Uh, you are still losing people today. Let's not forget that there is, uh, an active combat zone in a couple of places in the world and, and soldiers are still dying. So that's what Memorial Day is when we remember those who've, who've given, uh, as Lincoln put it, the last full measure of devotion uh, for their country. So thank you for that. And uh, I I've often hear people um, almost sarcastically talk about, you know, uh, are we forgetting what this day is when we, when we spend it going to the lake or barbecuing or or whatever, and I think it's totally the other way around. That's exactly the way to celebrate somebody giving their life in service to their country, and that is to celebrate the life that they laid theirs down for. So, sure, go out and barbecue, go to the lake, go uh, uh, 
water skiing, whatever it is you want to do, just remember that you're doing it. it, The activity you're doing was bought at a great price. So that's all I have to say about that. Yeah, they set the bar pretty high and taught us some awesome lessons in Valor. And uh, I wish we were living up to those lessons as a country. Yeah. So. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, God bless everyone who's past, present, and future soldiers of America. Um, I have some good friends that are soldiers, past or ex-soldiers, and a few that are no longer with a soldier. So God bless every, all of them and your families, and, you know, let, let's remember them tomorrow when we're having a big old slab of dead cow That's or right. something. My my friend Sean, who is the co-host of Tightwad Tech with me, is is a Marine and I like the way he puts it. Uh, Veterans uh, Veterans Day is for the people who are alive and serving now. Uh, Memorial Day is not is not their day. And he would actually get a little upset when you know on on uh, church service or whatever they'd recognize uh, standing uh, members or former members on Memorial Day. That's what not what Memorial Day is. That's what Veterans Day is. So uh, we'll celebrate those who are currently serving then. But today we remember the fallen. And uh, that's all I have to say about that. I know that's not what you tuned in for. And I know a lot of you people out there listening aren't from the U.S. You have a day uh, in your country, I'm sure. In Europe, it's Armistice Day. Um, and I'm sure every every country has a day when they set aside to remember the honored dead. This is ours. So uh, I know that you join with us in that um, respect for those who've gone before. That's all I got to say. Chris, what about you? Anything interesting, new, newsworthy, noteworthy going on in your uh, life these days? Yeah, actually, we had some fun today, or at least my wife did with with the kids. Uh, has anyone ever made or have tried to make uh, homemade sidewalk paint? Not sidewalk chalk, but sidewalk paint. Uh, so uh, my, my wife found this on Pinterest and thought it'd be fun to try with the kids. And uh, all in all, it was a great success, except for when it started to settle. <laughs> and then they started rolling it together and making a, like a chalk-based or cornstarch-based paintballs and started throwing them at each other. So it was kind of... <laughs> it started out as, as something nice and, and, and creative and turned into throwing you know gooey cornstarch balls at each other. That sounds well, it perfect. Like yeah, it started as something nice and ended up as something fun. So. <laughs> well, you also got to remember the kids that were involved, though. They're all very, you know, they all draw and color and, you know, make pictures and draw. And I don't know how many things of sidewalk chalk we go through in the summer, but that's their thing is to color on the sidewalk. So to, to have them take it and change it over to, you know, balls of, of dyed cornstarch. They were throwing each other. It's kind of fun. Yeah, they improvised, they adapted, and they overcame. <laughs> Gunny would be proud. Yes, yes, Gunny would be. <laughs> so I, I just had a, a a funny, proud geek dad moment uh, just a little while ago before I came down here. My four-year-old, um, somewhat unprompted, turned to me and said in a perfect British accent, what a strange person you are. <laughs> That's so random, but it's also so awesome because she had the accent down, and it was, uh, it was a great moment for a geek dad. It was, uh, it was a Hoovian moment almost. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That what else? Cool. Yeah. So, uh, 
Why? Why my my video went away? Weird. Uh Okay. The, the, okay. <laughs> the new hangouts. We're gonna talk about those in a little bit. Um. <laughs> uh, so anyway, um, moving so right I'll keep along. Going. Yeah, how's how's <laughs> yeah. Uh, how's Gnome Shell treating you, Chris? Uh, as I <laughs> as I put in our show notes, um, Gnome Shell can go suck an egg. It's just along right next to Unity, um, and I'll make sure they're rotten so they can have fun with it too. But uh, yeah, it's starting to kind of stink pretty bad around Gnome Shell and Unity for the same basic reasons. Um, and I don't know if it's just basically my uh, laptop that I'm running it on, so I'm going to try it on a couple other rigs to make sure. Because, you know, like I said, I have it on my desktop, and I have it on my laptop, and I have it on my work machine. Um, the lap, the desktop units at work and home are okay, but my little laptop just dies the second Gnome Shell starts. And the same thing happened with Unity. So I'm thinking it just doesn't have the horsepower or something. But man, this that's ridiculous. That a machine that was made, I don't know, it's a Centrino two processor, not too old, but old enough. But it can't run any of those natural those current environments. That's ridiculous. Um well it's I have a beefier laptop and I have the same experience. It it doesn't I don't it doesn't become unusable, but there's definitely a lot of disk thrashing and uh, and performance uh, hits that I notice as well. So it's not just you. Oh yeah, it, it's it's horrible. It's it's kind of one of those moments where it's like, okay, I have to log into GNOME Shell, and I wait and I wait and then I wait some more. And I think by the time I'm about ready to throw the laptop down and just get up and go to the desktop, that's when I can actually use the desktop again. Um, so, at this point, you know, KDE is still is still first in my heart, but with the bare speed that I experienced with LXDE, I, I think I might be changing my mind here. LXDE might be the uh, the window manager of my heart from now oh. on. We'll see. We'll, we'll be interested to hear what Richard has to say about LXDE soon. Uh, so moving right along to our news, first news story of the week, Seth's back, so we have news again, awesome. Um, Yay! Uh, and we have an article here from, uh, PC World Magazine that proves that, uh, the advancements of technology that have gone before us now make it possible to write mediocre software faster than ever before. <laughs> Definitely. Um, and in Java, no less. So why this particular I said mediocre, guy- that's given. <laughs> yeah, why he chose Java, a security bug riddled closed source piece of crap platform, I don't know, but he wrote a fully functioning, if not basic at this point, office suite in a month. So, I mean, props to him for for doing that. I mean, I know if I knew how to write code, it would probably take me at least a few days longer than that to do that. So, he uh he was it was built with uh NetBeans and Java libraries, and he said he hopes to kind of compete with Google Docs. He's not going after like um, Microsoft or OpenOffice or LibreOffice or anything like that. So I don't know. It requires Java 7 if you want to look at it and see what it does. But I, it was just, I thought it was pretty cool that he was able to write some software like that in 30 days. And probably, I'm, I'm guessing here, probably a lot of what he wrote. 
um, was just uh, cobbling scripts to put things together because there's all of those tools are out there already. You know, the you've got your rich text formatting, you've got your uh, calculation, you've got all these things that are already there in Java. You know, he, he's got these libraries, and so his code that he wrote in 30 days was probably just stitching it together. Uh, which you know it goes to my intro there. You you really are standing on the on the shoulders of giants when you do that. But unfortunately, people often stand on the shoulders of giants to produce mediocrity. Oh, yeah. that is true. Um, I wa- I wonder, like you know, there's already several like uh, J Edit is a decent Notepad alternative that I wonder if it uses things like that and enhances the functionality of it, or if he went for something totally different. Well, the question I always have is is why? Why rewrite such a software that's already been rebuilt and republished? And, you know, we have LibreOffice, OpenOffice, StarOffice, Microsoft Office, Google Docs, Live 365. Um, it's kind of a, a overkilled play field. Why would you try to compete with stuff like that that's already, you know, f- there? I guess it doesn't make sense well, to me. I don't know. I mean, you know, one, he says he's not going after like LibreOffice or OpenOffice, but he's going after something like uh, Google Docs. And if you want control over your data, you know, that's not something you get with Google Docs. Yeah, Google I would Docs love to have an open source self hosted version. Let you look of at your Docs. data sometimes if it feels uh, like it. So they, they make something that would like that, Mark, that's similar to Google Docs. It's Soho. Yeah, OwnCloud is another one like that. But yep. uh, I, that none of them. At least the last time I looked, hold a candle to Google Docs. I want Google Docs. No. I want the quality and the polish. I just want to be able to host it on my own server. Um, oh yeah. So <laughs> if somebody is going to do that, great. But <laughs> if it's going to be written in Java, no thanks, because Java right. is, yeah. Java isn't intended to be hosted. This is a, a clearly uh, a client-based system, and I'm looking for a web-based system. Right. Yeah, um, good. I mean, I'll, I'll give him props for doing th- something like that in 30 days. That takes some dedication to write a whole program, but I think he's just—I think he's barking up the wrong tree. Yeah. If you're a, but, a big-time gamer, there was some news this week that really didn't affect you at all. <laughs> the new Xbox comes out, and it's not a very good gaming system. So, yay, Microsoft for the new updated Xbox that doesn't play games as well as the current that Xbox. I'm, I'm, I'm suck. really struggling with this, <laughs> with this intro here. Yeah, yeah they, it's, um, it's... they're starting to tell their policy for reselled games, you know, and in the uh, gaming community, the console gaming community, game reselling has been a very big deal and a very big function of it. You know, you buy a game, you beat it, or you didn't like it or whatever, you go, you trade it in, you don't get much, but you can also buy a used game for less than the price of a new one. And now, apparently, if you buy a used game, uh, Microsoft is still going to get a cut, and the uh, the developer is still going to get a cut, and the retailer is going to get a much smaller percentage of that transaction. So they're basically looking to take over and eliminate the used gaming market because the new version you are going to have to be connected. Um, you'll have to like uh, phone in once a day 
to the mothership to order to play it because whenever you sell the game, it gets wiped from your system. Right. So, I mean, you know, I understand for counterfeiting and, you know, you don't want to down, download the game to your system or make a copy and sell it. So from that sense, I, I don't have a problem with it, but I just think they've done such a crappy job of, uh, of implementing it that they're really going to be opening the roads for, you know, like the um, Oya and like the Android-based consoles and stuff. I think they're really going to have a chance to uh, gain some good market share off of Microsoft's bungling <laughs> of this issue. See, and, and there's other things that are in this thing that are, that are horrible, horrible um, release parts, like um, one of the things, and I don't, I don't think it's in this article, Seth, but it's in a different one, where if there's multiple users in a household, you have to pay a fine or a fee for those multiple people to play the same game, even though you just went out and spent six, you know, sixty dollars or fifty dollars on this game, you now have to pay an additional fee for everybody who's using it. That's horse. That's horrible. Um, you know, it, it, what it's going to end up doing is that Google, Microsoft is pushing everyone to either the PlayStation Four, which if they do a good job this time, they actually might, you know, take back the net, uh, the gaming network, or they're going to push people to the Steam client and have everyone play on Steam. So, especially since Steam is working on a Steam box for your living room, um, you know, come on, Microsoft, you're you're kind of sh- cutting your own throat here you know you're also cutting the throat of like people like gamefly or well, that's their goal mail in that, that's exactly what they want to do they the microsoft right. has stated this for years they want to move away from selling software and move into leasing software and they've been gradually yeah, changing their policies uh and and they're not the only ones itunes for example if you buy a song from itunes that belongs to you um only as long as you own the account Technically, under iTunes uh, rules, when you die, you have to your heirs have to delete your account and erase all the music that you've paid for. You can't pass it on. Yep. You can't uh, bequeath it to someone else. That is yours. It is attached to your account. You're leasing that software for you know an indefinite period of time, and that's that's what Microsoft is trying to do. And frankly, it's what um, Ubuntu is trying to do with their Ubuntu One Store. It's it's the model that everybody's moving to. We're not we're not going to sell things anymore. We're just going to perpetually lease them. Uh, I don't like it, but the, the, the it's not about me. It's about my kids, and and the you know the generation that comes behind. They've accepted this. They're okay with it, and so Microsoft is playing the you know the fifty year game here, not the five year game. They they're just right. they're going to put this out there. They're going to gradually move to that example. Uh, and that's the gonna the the frontier they're gonna stand on for the next hundred years of their company, and you know more power to them. I'm a capitalist as well as anyone else. If that's what you want to do, if that's how you want to run your business, fine. But I don't like it, and I don't intend to give them any of my money. Exactly. That's uh, that's and that's part of the reasons why all my stuff I've moved. Um, there's not a single PlayStation because I, I didn't like what happened with the PlayStation Three. That was a bunch of garbage. Um, so I didn't go the PlayStation 3 route, and I didn't like Microsoft being in my pocket, so that's why I didn't go the Xbox route. And I love my Steam oh, games, my so I'm going to go the Steam games, and uh, along with, oh, I can't remember the other game deployment company that is on Linux, and I, they escape me at the moment, but that's where, I, that's where I'm putting all my money in right now for my games, is that way, because at least that way I kind of own those games. 
Yeah, but see, I'm, I, you're going to be at that point, and so am I in the, in the near future. Your kids are going to get to gamer age, and they're going to say, you know, I want an Xbox for my birthday. I want an Xbox for Christmas. Um, and I, I, my, my principled stand right now, which may crumble as so many things do when you're a parent, is that I'm not going to do it. Um, just cause I don't, I don't like supporting that model of, of purchasing thing. Well, the, of not purchasing things. Um, mm-hmm. but we'll see what happens. Uh, it's, it's very likely that there's just simply not going to be an alternative. That's just the way the world goes and you deal with it. Yeah. I see in my household, my son, he, uh, he did ask one time to have an Xbox or an Xbox 360. I think is the one he asked for, but I looked at my goal. Okay, Zach. We can do that, but that means you're going to have to buy both games if you want to play it on your computer and on your Xbox. And he looked at me and goes, what? I go, yeah. You have this nice gaming rig that we've built and can update and constantly buy more games into. Or every five years when Xbox decides to rebuild itself, you have to pay for another $400 system. And he made the choice, and he said, well, then there's no sense in that. I'm going to go with Steam. Because the box that the the game rig that he's built has an HDMI slot, will fit in his TV. So if he does decide to move when he's of age to move, that game rig goes with him, and so does games and all the traffic and and, and everything else. And he doesn't have to worry about you know it blowing up because it's all stored. Um, he I thought he made a really good choice in my opinion. Go ahead, Seth. No, I was going to say, wow, Chris, how dare you raise a responsible net citizen in today's world? You should know better than that. <laughs> Sorry. Just like I, I don't really worry about filtering my network at home either uh, because I've raised him to not fear that stuff and to when it happens that if it's an accident, he needs to come tell me. Um, but yeah, he, he it's not something I terribly worry about at his age. Now, in two three years that might be a different story but right now i'm not too worried about it right and so uh in the list of things that we do need to worry about in the long litany of of google projects that are dying or being put out to pasture code.google.com is now on that list that's horrible too yeah um you know it was I thought a pretty good alternative to SourceForge, um, but I don't know. Google just seems to be, you know, they had this enormous goodwill in the the techie community. Everybody loved Google, and Google seems to be one by one slicing off everything that anybody likes about them. <laughs> yes. um, and Google Code is the latest thing that you know. It's uh, I recently watched the pirate movie again, which is great. But this is the latest thing they're making to walk the plank. And uh, I guess pretty soon they're going to be nothing but uh, Chrome OS and search. Oh, and Android too. Well, and, I don't know. You know, another thing is that they're cutting off. Um, did it, did you guys see that notice that they're cutting off the Jabber support for their chat clients? Yes. So, my favorite chat system, Pigeon, is going to be sliced down to a. You know, I'm going to lose another chat pro- program that I can, I can use, and I'm going to have to be in their browser window, and I think that's crap. Yeah, well, welcome to Google. Um, they're moving everything to Hangouts, and, and they want you to that to be the interface. Uh, my my 
as as long as they leave Google Docs alone, uh, I'm 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 fairly sanguine about it. You know, these so far they haven't cut me where I live yet. Google Reader, yes, that hurt. Um, but I've found an alternative and I'm happy with it. But I just I don't think there is a current alternative to Google Docs. And and if they go away, I will be heartbroken and and sad and forlorn. <laughs> Well, I, I'm I'm really debating on pulling all my docs back out of there just to be safe, and put it all back into Libra. You know, it, you know, at this point, it would suck, but I don't know when they're going to ax it next. What's going to be on the axing block? Are they going to cut Plus off now too, and go back to Hangouts only? You know, that's it's it's just Google's starting to scare me, and I, I'm starting to to wonder if I should change my email and everything else because. Come on, Google. You're cutting off people's lifelines here. <laughs> yeah, I don't, you know, but it's one of those things, you know, Mark, you said as long as they don't cut docs, but, you know, what happens when docs is the only thing left and they decide to cut it because you don't need it anymore? Um, it, you know, there's there's choices now, but it just seems like stuff is dying out and they're doing a good job to killing it. So... Well, that's def- that's Thanks, what happened Google. with Google Reader. They they put out Google Reader. the The world said, "Perfect. This is the RS re- RSS reader we want." All the other RSS readers sort of faded away, and then Google said, "Oh, by the way, never mind." <laughs> that's that's a big deal, um, right? Yeah. But anyway, uh, what is also a big deal is uh, Microsoft has fully adopted Linux, kind of at least <laughs> at least Skype. They're trying to shoehorn their bad code into Linux now. Uh, they released an update, uh, a new Skype client recently, and then now an update to that Skype client, which is surely going to make it worse. Uh, Obviously, we'll yeah, because well, I don't know. You know, eventually they get stuff right at Microsoft. So I don't well, know. So really? For the last for the last three years, every update of Skype has made it worse. I mean, I, that, I, that's not an exaggeration. That's not a markism. That is a fact. Every time Skype updates, it gets worse. I want it to. I want my old Skype, you know, before they dismantled peer to peering and all that stuff back because it worked better. Um, and those of you who listen to this show uh, and know that we had to go to a double ender recording where these guys record their own stuff because Skype quality got so bad we couldn't record it anymore. Um, it's just, but still, as bad as it is, there's nobody even close to it yet. Google Hangouts yeah. is starting to get there, but until I can get a discrete channel on that, um, it's not really useful either. You know, and the other thing that I always have a, that I currently have a problem with Skype about is: Have you guys done a full screen video chat with Skype yet? I don't, just a curiosity. I have. I, I, okay. have, um, I don't really haven't noticed a big deal. at least the last couple of times that i fired off a skype chat you know full screen on the win- windows boxes at work there's been ads all over it in the in the view oh, yeah. in the screen yeah and that's that's horrible especially for people like me i pay for my skype i have a you know a monthly subscription or a yearly subscription to both uh skype for call to phone and a Skype number. So if they throw a a ad in my face, I'm going to start looking for another place because I pay for this product. Don't put ads in my face when I'm paying for it. 
that's a fast way for me to get pissed and to leave. Wise one of the yeah. chat room says, well, just don't update Skype. You can't not update Skype because now they have moved its updates into the Windows updates. It's now part yep. of the Windows update repository. If you're being a good little Windows user and have your updates set to automatic, Skype is one of them now. Right. And unless, of course, you're using Linux, and then you can actually choose not to update it, Mark. Yeah. But <laughs> I don't do Linux. I, I, it's not like I'm on a Linux podcast or anything. What are you talking about? Yeah, come oh, on, geez. Chris. We talk about Linux. Isn't that enough? <laughs> but yes, there is a new Skype uh, client coming to Linux, and I, I will be interested to to hear what the internet has to say about it. Will they have the same complaints? It got worse. I want to go back. Uh, or or will they say it's a good thing? But it, it is. I think it's a good thing for Linux that uh, uh, Linus Torvalds once said that when Microsoft starts making uh, applications for Linux, it means I've won. And so Linux has won because Microsoft's official uh messaging system is now an official client on linux that's being regularly updated as well so that's both good news and bad news it it, it means that you've got microsoft attention but it also means that you've got microsoft's attention yeah we now have their code and we all know how much their code is horrible well i mean and plus microsoft's um the os that makes microsoft the mobile os that makes microsoft the most money is android with their, uh, you know, licensing godfather, um, making people an offer they can't refuse, is uh, they get more money from licensing patents related to Android than they do off of the mobile version of their software. So maybe they're looking at something like that for Android. I mean, not or for Linux now. You know, they'll they'll uh, try to monetize the code they contribute to the Linux kernel. And while we're talking about Skype, there's been some uh, fairly recent news. Uh, a couple of different news organizations have uh, uh, independently verified that Skype snoops on links. If you send a link in an encrypted Skype session or a supposedly encrypted Skype session, a Skype server will follow said link. And HP maybe <coughs> have decided that's the straw that breaks the camel's back. Maybe. Well, I look at it this way. Um, you know, HP took over WebOS, and they promptly did everything in their power to kill it. Indeed. So uh, I, I think them announcing an Android tablet, Microsoft is hoping that HP can capture lightning in a bottle twice. And maybe it's not too late to kill this whole Android thing. And if anybody can do it, HP and Epnus can surely put a dent in the Android juggernaut. At least that's my take. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I put I drew the link the parallel there between Skype and uh and HP. The the, the company itself hasn't said that, but com uh, the HP all of their press, all of their uh recent public events have been very Android heavy and they used right. to be sort of the the Microsoft company. And now they yep. still have Microsoft products, Microsoft centric products, but they're not they're not really talking about it quite so much. They also um, are talking about a Chromebook, um, and you know, so it, it's interesting. I think HP is is really what it comes down to is they're having to hedge their bets because Windows Eight is such a, a boat anchor that they've got to come up with something <laughs> else. Um, but we'll see. Yeah, I think it's interesting yeah. though that the the fact that Skype. The Skype servers are are you know tracking down those links though 
that if you put it in your Skype channel, they're actually going to see what you're doing. So that's that's kind of spooky too. Because what else are they listening? Yeah, tinfoil hat users. I get it. Um, Microsoft bad, following links bad, privacy invasion, yada yada. But if you're gonna cut down on link spam in Skype, you have to follow those links so that you can make a, a determination as to whether the content is spam or not. I, I think right. it's simply machine learning. They're using that to feed their Bayesian engine and nothing more to it. But since I'm on a Linux show, ah, ah, this guy is falling. Ah, all right, everybody feel better now. Well, yeah, I'm just I, my point uh, though I, is that ahead, what else? The, what else? Uh, my point though is is what else could they be using? You know, as long as it's just Bayesian filtering, I don't have an issue with it. And it's as long as it's links only, I don't have an issue with it. But if it's private chats, then I have an issue with it. But we won't know any of that other information unless it's really unless it's de- disclosed. And I don't think Microsoft is ever going to disclose everything. Oh, guys, by the way, we have been spying on you for the last 50 years, but it's only because we care. We're the good guys here. Um, Please buy our software. See, I gave up up on that when I sold my soul to Google. Um, They have every email I've written in the last, I don't know, eight years. Uh, They have my Google Talk chats. They have... Uh, they have my Google Voice phone. They they know what calls I've made and what calls have been made for me. Um, I just I I checked out that portion of my brain and said, you know, I I have to give this information up to be useful. So I accept it. When I stopped doing my own mail client and started using a web based mail client, I surrendered, um, knowing what happens to my email. But also, it's it's in the best interest of a company, Microsoft, Google. Uh, Apple. None of these companies uh, want to be found out as being, you know, doing evil things. It will mean the end of their company. They may not care about freedom. They may not care about privacy. They do care about money. And doing something that stupid will affect the bottom line, which is why I don't think they're ever going to do it. Microsoft isn't um, scanning your chats. No human is looking at it. A bot may be. Um, and it's being aggregated in some way. Uh, Google the same way. That's you know, so they can give you ads. I, I'm fine with that because I know that if they ever get caught doing something nefarious, it will be the end of the company or a big dent in the company, and they're too greedy to allow that to happen. So capitalism to the rescue. Well, let's hope that model works, Mark. <laughs> Seth, it looks like you disagree with my statement. Well, I mean, but it's it's one of those things where you don't, I mean, I just, I know human nature. And as much as, you know, a company wouldn't do that, company is made up, companies are made up of greedy people who are always trying to overstep and do that one more thing that they don't think is wrong. I mean, you know, any of the major company meltdowns, that have happened have because have been because some person or persons at the top didn't think what they were doing was wrong and saw this next step has a logical extension and therefore they went ahead and done it and then the whole house came falling down and their customers were the ones who were crushed in the end so you know you talk about capitalism to the rescue but capitalism can only do so much against basic human greed and nefariousness yeah, but Google, Gmail isn't Enron. 
You know, it, it, there, there, there's a limited potential to how much they can hurt me. Uh, or maybe, Today. maybe I'm being Pollyanna about that. Today there is. Well, let, let, let's tomorrow yeah, let's play the there 10 year will game. be more of a potential. So that so the uh, tinfoil hat guys would rally behind. <laughs> yeah, I I I have always not always because um, I forget, but I I I keep in the back of my head since the early days of email. Email is public. It the 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 pop protocol is a public protocol. It's unencrypted. It's plain text. It's flying across the servers. Any one of those servers can read it. Uh, so I because I'm an old guy. And I understand that. I come from that mentality. I'm not so worried about that. Now, if I found out that uh, you know Bank of America was spying on my my you know passwords or something like that, I might be a little more concerned. But even then, they know my all my financial data. They know every penny I spend because it's spent through them. Visa knows every penny I spend because it's on their credit card. You know, so when you really break, step back and take a look at it, and 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 say that everything you do you give up privacy and you ask for that in exchange for a service. You know, Bank of America has all of my money. Literally all of my money is in uh, their accounts, uh, except for maybe like 20 bucks I have in my wallet. I'm. It's a trust thing. I'm trusting them to do something with it. Do I know they're going to? No, not at all. Do, do I, you know, when I go and make a purchase online, you know the the online retailer knows that Visa knows that because or PayPal whoever I use to transfer transfer that and uh, Bank of America knows that so there's three companies that I'm entrusting that information to and I'm trusting I'm giving it away I'm saying here's my information and I trust that they're going to do something with it because it's either trust or carry around bags of gold bullion and so I kind of feel the same way about Skype and about Gmail. Um, if I want to use the service, if I don't want to sit down and write letters and drop them in the U.S. mail, I have to just accept the reality that other people have my information. I, I totally get go. it. But whenever you're using a supposedly encrypted service that isn't so encrypted, well, then, you know, what's the point of calling it encrypted? Well, it is. It is encrypted. You make a well. Did Skype ever promise that conversations were end to end private? I don't know that they ever did. We we assumed that, but I I don't know that that language is in the EULA because I didn't read the EULA. I clicked I clicked the button that said I'd read it, but I didn't read it. Um, well, so, you, there's no way to go back and find out now unless it's in the uh, Internet Archive somewhere. Right there, you go. There's something our fans and our, our people that want to uh, tell us for sure. Go back and look at the Internet Archive. See if you can find the terms of service or the EULA that tell us if it was ever supposed to be encrypted point to point. Because I thought it was back when it was still peer to peer. I thought it was guaranteed private point to point. I don't know. Okay. I, I think that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, there's one other thing. I, I want to get this one. What is taking smart cars so long to get here? Um, go, Seth. There's my well, I, there's my smooth transition. <laughs> I don't know. I just uh, came across this article that talked about the, uh, the uh, concerted effort of the automotive industry to stop the smart car from gaining foothold in society. And 
it was just a neat thing. And, you know, of course, the links will be in the show notes. But, you know, imagine having a dock in your car where you dock your tablet. And so instead of carrying around a key, which is just something else, everybody has a tablet or smartphone or some type of smart device that can serve as your key. And then it, it is also a hotspot in the car that you don't have to pay thousands of extra dollars for. Well, there's uh, the problem right there, Seth. Yeah. But so, and because of that, the automotive industry is taking its time, dragging its heels, slowly rolling out these things um, under the guise of, you know, safety. And, you know, it's for the children. You don't want to put children at risk, you Taliban communist idiot. Um, <laughs> so, you know, you know, don't you love children? Aren't you a God-fearing person? How dare you want openness in your car? Um, now, just yeah, to, just so, to 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 couch the conversation, we're not talking about autonomous cars. We're just talking about technology-rich cars, cars that that can get that you know all cars have computers in them right now in general. But we're talking right. about user uh, user available computers. I, I you know not just the nav system. I want to have an iPad in the dashboard of my car. Why not? Why shouldn't I be able to do that? Um, and that's that's what we're talking about here. It's not that the technology isn't there. It's that, uh, well, really, there's no money to be made off of it yet. That's the way right. I read the article. Until it, they're leasing you that iPad, you know, at some ridiculous 30 or 40 or $50 a month, and then that Wi-Fi, you know, another 30 or until they're able to lease you that technology for three to four hundred dollars a month there probably won't be mainstream smart cars and i think there's still i think there's got to be another generation i don't think our generation will ever accept a, a fully automatic a fully automated computerized fly-by-wire car we're we're too much into i want a key that i push in and turn now i know right. there are cars with with go buttons right but they also have keys too the backup uh, I think it's going to take another generation before the people are ready for a truly smart car. Um, as much as we sci-fi geeks like the idea of having Jarvis in our car, uh, you know, <laughs> tell, talking to us in in a, a smarmy, um, sarcastic English accent, uh, the the reality <laughs> is uh, we wouldn't want that. It wouldn't sell. I think. Well, at least not yet. Right. We're just not ready. Yeah, and plus you open up a whole new uh, infection vector into your automobile. So <laughs> my now, car, my you know, Chevy has war a driving takes on a whole new meaning. <laughs> yeah, it would. All right, moving on to listener feedback. Thanks for the excellent news section there, uh, guys. Uh, starting on with uh, some uh, heads up from Michael. Uh, I love it when, when uh, listeners know more than I do. Uh, Michael says, hi, you had a listener feedback from a user, if I get this right, installed Edubuntu meta packages over Ubuntu. You are correct in stating that there isn't a simple way to remove these meta packages, but there is a website that's been around for a while that not only lists the components of the different meta packages, but it has the simple command lines that can be copied and pasted to remove them. And he gives the link here that we'll put in the show notes. So the idea there is... um, you know, we talked about not knowing what all those things are. Well, somebody's gone through the trouble of, of looking through the install package and writing down what it does, basically reverse engineering it and saying, here are the commands that you can do. Now, our security-minded people on the show would always say, never copy and paste from a website into your command line. Uh, I will simply say, use at your own w- w- risk. But it's at psychocats.net. 
Uh, we'll talk about how to, how you can get from a um, uh, modified Ubuntu back to a pure Ubuntu. So thanks for that, Michael. I appreciate that heads up. Yeah, go, awesome. Michael. Thank you. Uh, and I will I, I will second the uh, anytime you copy and paste a command from a website that you don't know what it's going to do, at least do your due diligence and have proper backups just as a precaution. You would hate to hose your system because somebody typoed a command. And secondly, Guillaume defends the honor of the command line godfather. He says, hello, my message is for Chris from Everyday Linux. I think it's unfair that your title is challenged just because you didn't want to run Gentoo. To me, being a command line godfather is not about the amount of time you pass uh, trying to uninstall to install your disk row, but the amount of time and effort you put into trying to do everyday, day-to-day things in the terminal. So to me, anyone using rat poison as a main windows manager is entitled to something more than a command line tinkerer even if his distro of choice is duadu linux whatever that is now i won't go so far as to challenge you mostly because i don't want to be challenged back but i would (laughs) be interested to have your opinion on this windows manager have you ever tried it what do you think rat poison windows manager you ever heard of it chris i have heard of it uh i have not tried it uh mainly because i've it never needed to. Um, I'll throw it in a VM and let you know what I think of it. I'm not going to put it on my main system, though. But I will. Pro- I promise I will VM it and at least take a look. And he goes on to say, on another topic, I don't know about Gentoo, but Arch and LXDE is a great combination. I've tried it in a VM, and I came very close to format my Lubuntu netbook and put that on instead. I keep my fingers crossed that in four months of back-to-back challenges, you will at least have one month or more uh, with more enjoyment than pain. Oh, well, thank you, sir. Thank you. (laughs) So you have a fan out there in the Element OP armor who feels that he should defend your honor. You are the command line godfather. Well, thank you. Like I said, thank you, thank you, thank you, sir. At least somebody cares, Mr. Wise One. And then he, he goes on, P.S., There's a here's a command line tip for you. In Arch, Pac-Man can have colors. Just uncomment the color, comment flag, excuse me, color flag from uh, etcpacman.conf, save pacman-syu, and enjoy. I have no idea what any of that means. Let's see. Uh, that I'm not sure what syu is, but Pac-Man is the package manager for Arch. I know that. So I'm guessing that relaunches the Pac-Man system and color flags and now puts colors in the uh, panel. All right, I'll take your word for it because I'm never going to try it. (laughs) Well, that'll be two months from now that I'll have the answers for sure. Okay. Our old friend Richard offers a challenge update. Says, hi guys, here's a bit of an update for you. I finally managed to get Arch installed and working in a manner of speaking on my laptop after spending virtually a week. Too many install attempts to count. I still don't have my wireless working. It's a Broadcom chipset. Sorry, Richard. Good luck with that. But I've had it working on every other distro I've tried in the past. So I know that it is supported, uh, and I do not have a working printer, no matter what I try to get it going. One thing I have learned from this uh, so far is that Arch Linux, no matter what its fans say, is not a distro for the average user, nor a distro for everyday use. What I've done as well is to install Ubuntu on my desktop so I can at least get to use LXDE on a fully working system, and my first impressions are pretty positive. 
Though having said that, that it is running on an i7 with 32 gigs of RAM compared to LXD on Arch, which needs a lot of work uh, to get it pretty. The version that ships with Ubuntu is smooth and polished and looks very slick, in my opinion. I still need to sort a few things uh, on it, like connecting to my media server. And Chris, I haven't installed Vim and used uh, I have installed Vim and used it a little bit, but I've been using more command line as much as I can. Kind regards, Richard. Good. Sounds like he's having fun. <laughs> I will. I will. I, I'm glad to hear though that he did try to run Lubuntu and take a look at a very highly polished version of LXDE. Uh, I was very. I'm very very impressed with the Lubuntu, Lubuntu. on on when it comes to that. Comes I to that. I would hope that similar distro. You know, the big guys take that onto their reins and puts that. And it does that same amount of polish to all the other ones, because that makes that makes LXDE just sparkle when you have that much polish put onto a system. That's a good thing. And next, uh, a question from Chad. <clears throat> he says, "Hey, Mark, Chris, and Seth, thank you for making making such a great podcast. I just recently found EDL and absolutely love it. Awesome. I've downloaded and listened cool. to all of your previous episodes." That must have hurt. Uh, and I finally yes, caught as up. As much to as your... we thank you, we are sorry for that. <laughs> yes. Uh, let me see. I finally caught up to your current posting. EDL keeps the monotony to a minimum while sitting on a bulldozer all day long. So now that I've rambled on, I guess I should ask my question. I was wondering why you now recommend Linux Mint to a new user as opposed to Ubuntu. Is it only because of Unity? Which desktop environment for Linux Mint do you recommend as well? Is it Cinnamon or Mate? I've always uh, wanted to try using Linux, but have been hesitant in the past. But now that I've found the podcast, it seems a little less scary. I plan on using two separate hard drives for my laptop, one that runs my current Windows 7, and the other with either Ubuntu or Mint on it. The only way I can swap out drives and not have to bother trying to configure with the whole dual beat th boot thing. The laptop is an HP G71 340 uh, US model with 4 gigs of RAM and a dual core processor. Any advice or suggestions would be greatly appreciated. Thanks for your time, and keep up the great work you guys do on the show. I would also like to ask for more barbecue and bacon talk on the show as well. <laughs> well, uh, nice. thanks, Chad. It's great to have you, uh, a listener. Uh, to answer your question for me, I like Linux Mint because everything is right there. Uh, everything you need to get up and running comes on the disk, and the average user needs nothing else. I like the cinnamon version just because that's my personal preference. The mate version seems a little clunkier to me. Um, so that's, that's the reason I prefer to recommend Linux mint. It's just, it's all the packages, everything you need, including uh, uh, flash and all that just right there. That makes it not entirely legal in the U S as well, but still in terms of ease of use, that's the reason I recommend um, mint. Any other comments? And Chad, I, I, I will echo Mark's uh, comments there. Uh, I like the Cinnamon version of Mint better than the Mate version. I think Mate is kind of a pointless project, personally. Uh, you know, no, nothing against the Mate guys, but I think you should spend your time making Cinnamon or something else a little better off. Uh, honestly, with, with that laptop, if you're running the NVIDIA card, Mint would probably be the better choice. Um, because obviously you're going to get more bang, more 
more performance for your for that Nvidia card uh, because Unity eats up so much graphics processing power and will run the laptop a little bit hotter. Uh, but I I agree that we do need to have more barbecue and bacon talk on the show. <laughs> Definitely can't go wrong with more barbecue and bacon. And just to uh, echo what they said, you know, the topic, the title of our podcast is Everyday Linux. And so for someone who has never seen Linux before, uh, just the generic Linux Mint install gets you up and going with as few extra steps as possible. Um, There's lots of good Linux distros out there that, you know, you can say, oh, I like this, I like this Windows Manager, I don't like that Windows Manager, whatever. And you can, you know, one of the strengths of Linux is you can pick and choose what you want. But for someone who doesn't want to do that and they just want to install once and be done, uh, Linux Mint straight out of the box gets you up and going fastest. So that's why it's our default everyday Linux uh, choice. Well said. And I, I'm really impressed with his idea of running two different hard drives. Um, that that's a good way to test this machine. You know, the the that way your your personal data is 100 percent safe. You just make sure you're not stripping your screws out because otherwise you're going to get stuck with a hard drive once eventually, and you may not be able to go back because you can't get the screws out. <laughs> yeah, that that's what I would always do when I. Uh tested distros is I would pop in a second hard drive. Um, I was careful not to strip the screws, but so uh, it, w- it was the easiest way because then I got the full effect of installing it because as we all know, sometimes things are a little different in a virtual world. So way to go, Chad. Well, as far as stripping the screws, you just need a bigger crowbar and, and that's not a problem. <laughs> yeah. And then our or last bit- yeah, a last bit of listener feedback. Sean checks in and says, Hi, guys. Best Linux show I've heard yet. I enjoy the roundtable-type discussion, which seems to flow quite naturally between the three of you. You make my commute much more enjoyable. Also, thanks for introducing me to the Linux Academy. I look forward to starting soon. Sean, the unfortunate Windows admin. Sean, we appreciate your kind words. Uh, we're happy to have you along. We're glad you like what we do. Uh, and if you want to no longer be a Windows admin, the Linux Academy is the perfect place to start over at linuxacademy.com where they offer uh, step-by-step video courses uh, designed with the beginner in mind, but there's advanced stuff there as well. It comes with your own Linux lab server that lets you run up to eight different distros, PDF study guides and uh, reference sheets, over a hundred training videos, and you get your first seven days for free. You can try it out, see what you think about it. Um, you can also download, uh, they will send you, you don't have to download if, if it's so big, you don't want the, the online versions, they will send you a DVD with, uh, with uh, pre-configured VMs installed to do everything you need to do for offline use. Everything they do is uh, mobile uh, friendly, so you can watch it on your uh, Android or iPhone device, I suppose. Um, and everything is high quality HD resolution. All of this for a mere $19 a month or if you want to go ahead and pay up front 38 dollars a quarter so you get uh, you pay for two months you get a month free but you can always try it for free for seven days linuxacademy.com our friend anthony over there pinehead tv is committed to making this stuff better uh day by day we're glad to have you as a sponsor sponsor linux academy and we're glad to have you uh sean 
uh, as somebody who's, who's interested in checking it out. So go there and tell them Mark sent you. Definitely. And we do approve of the Linux Academy. Um, I know, Seth, did you finish any of those things you were working with? I have finished a couple, but I am still a paying member of the Linux Academy. So, you know, I uh, I kind of eat our own dog food there. It's good enough that I pay money for it. So that should tell you how awesome it is because I don't go around <laughs> paying money for much stuff very often. Uh, and the question in the chat room, uh, are there any, is there an affiliate link so that you guys get a kickback? Uh, honestly, no, because I don't think they're advertising anywhere else. So other than word of mouth, this show is, as far as I know, all the advertising they're doing. So if if you're a customer of theirs, they know that we sent you. And uh, it was, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to, uh, I hope I hope you won't mind, I'm going to reveal a little of our conversation that Anthony and I had uh, via email a little while back. Uh, we, we ran the ad uh, for him a month or so ago and he sent me an email and said what day did your uh your show release and i i looked it up and spit back the date about 10 minutes later he said can i do shoot two shows next month <laughs> so i'm guessing he saw a spike in traffic on the date that show released and it's that's awesome thank you everyday linux army for making that happen go and check out uh linuxacademy.com but don't just check it out uh you know sign up give it a try uh, if you don't like it, it doesn't cost you anything. You can cancel in the first week, and it doesn't cost a thing. But I'm betting you're going to like it. If our very own GUI kid, the GUI kid, is taking classes for command line administration and paying for it, what more do you need? What better endorsement could you have than that? Yeah, y'all don't know me well enough to understand. I pay for this, people. I mean, Mark knows me. He understands the ringing endorsement that carries. It's like me being the last one finished at a meal that tells you something about the quality of the food. Me paying for a product tells you something about the product. All right. So thank you, Linux <laughs> Academy. Thank you, guys. Uh, go check it out. Thus saith the Opie. Um, <laughs> the head Opie. <laughs> The head OP in charge, the the H-O-I-C. Um, so this show, as I said an hour ago, is going to be about our um, uh, favorite hacks, the things that we've seen, that we've tried, that we've, uh, we've experienced or just seen in the wild with Linux. So I thought we'd just go round robin style and go with this. Uh, Chris, what is your... Well, I'm not going to, we're not even going to put it in numbers. What is one of your uh, favorite Linux hacks you've seen over the years? Oh, my, my favorite one was probably the Windows, the computer that I was running at the time, you know, way back, oh, this must have been 10 years ago, that Windows would not run on it, period. It would blue screen the second it would try to install. And uh, I threw open Susie on there and it ran like a kitten and didn't have any problems purring all day long. That's awesome. That Nopix is uh, is great for that, and and that's where I'll, I don't know if it was the first, but it was the first live CD I ever heard of. And yeah, that, yeah. That, that, you're stealing my thunder. That was another one of mine. Um, I had a number of times where Nopix saved people's hard drives and or at least their pictures and, and data files before a before a a full wipe uh, because of something. But uh, yeah, Nopix is another one that if if you don't know what Nopix is. Go check it out, and yeah, you'll be surprised. All right, I'm, I'm just going to be totally honest with you there. I wasn't listening. I was doing something else, and you have Nopix first on the list, so I thought that's what you were talking about, and that's why I brought it up. 
Aha. Shame on you. <laughs> so I'm actually going to have to go back and listen to the show to see what's, what he mentioned the first time because I thought it was going to be Nopics. What? I do a lot of producing of the show, by the way, while we're doing the show, and I'm not always paying attention even to myself. Uh, but anyway, uh, my uh, my favorite hack um, was when I used when I set up a full, fully functional NT domain. This was before Active Directory was a thing. An NT domain that uh, that handled about oh, nine hundred to a thousand Windows laptops without ever using windows it was a centos box running samba and i did everything that you needed to do i had group policy I had all that stuff built right in startup scripts everything you could want except a windows box and that was the coolest thing ever um i used a, a script uh, that a fellow named matt oquist wrote if you look up matt oquist online you can he's a a fairly well-known guy he started the, the software freedom day for example and he wrote a script uh that was a gui um uh, well uh simplified gui's not the right word uh samba ldap installer um that would take a a uh, k12 ltsp box a linux terminal server project box and with a couple of uh, commands put a full PDC script on it and or PDC or BDC. So primary domain controller, backup domain controller. So I had, I had a windows, I had, I had a Linux primary domain controller, a Linux backup domain controller and a windows backup domain controller as a slave to the Linux backup domain <laughs> controller and everything worked just fine. But my favorite thing about that whole process, um, was when I got, uh, I got stuck one day, I had a problem. There was a, a corruption and I sent an email to the uh, the Linux Terminal Server Project list, and Matt Oquist responded and said, "How can I help?" We sh I shared a terminal service with him. He remoted into my machine and spent a couple of hours helping me fix it. So the guy who developed the software helped me fix the problem. You don't get that at Microsoft or at Apple. You're not going to get the coder who worked on Windows to remote into your machine and help you out. Uh, but Matt did that because he cared about the project. He he wanted to everybody who used it to have a good experience. And um, I don't remember what the problem was now, but because his skills were so far superior to mine, he was able to fix it for me in about 30 minutes. I spent, you know, the better part of two days hacking at it before I asked for help. He fixed it in about a half an hour and we were up and running. Um, and it's I'm sure it's deprecated now. It's not there anymore. But buried deep in the bowels of the Samba code was the vampire command. I love that command because a vampire command sucks all the user accounts out of an existing domain and drops it into a new one. So it bites the server in the neck, sucks the blood out of it, and puts it in there. <laughs> it was the vampire command. So that's that, that was awesome. my favorite uh, ever uh, Linux hack was the faux domain. That is an awesome hack. Uh, plus, it saved me literally thousands of dollars in licensing. Um Oh because yeah, with, easily. With with, uh, with Windows, if you don't know, if you're not a Windows admin, you got to buy the software. You got to buy the license for the software. Then you got to buy a license for every client that connects to it. And that's the reason I did it. Uh, the client access licenses we were we had just added a bunch of machines, and and I was going to have to shuck out. It's not a lot. It's maybe ten dollars per machine, but I had you know about eight hundred machines, so that's you know eight thousand dollars. My total budget was about 30000 for the year. 
So a third of my budget was going to have to go to client access licenses. So I said, there's got to be a better way in Linux to the rescue. And plus you save the hardware costs on the CentOS server is nothing compared to the specs you would need Windows to produce at the same level. Right. So Seth, what's your favorite hack? Well, my favorite hack is um, Gparted. Using that, lots of times I've had a Windows machine go belly up and all of a sudden you can't read the hard drive. So I will repair the hard drive partition with Gparted and then I'm able to access it. So most of my hacks involve helping an end user recover unrecoverable Windows stuff with Linux uh, or resetting Windows passwords. Because you can't do that in Windows with any regularity or much success, but Linux is very good at doing that. That's great. Yeah, I love it when I can use Linux to fix Windows. That makes me laugh. Yeah, whenever a friend of mine had the ransomware show up on their computer, you know that you got to call the FBI and we'll fix it for you for however much to his PayPal account. I was able to use my Trinity Rescue Kit and uh, go in and enable the administrator account, turn it on, and get their machine up and going. So... I love me uh I love me Linux utilities. They are awesome. <laughs> All right, Chris, back to you. Back to me. I would have to say uh shortly after I started my first this my current job at the school, uh, they were big users of Fog. And there were a lot of machines or not Fog, but Ghost. And there were a lot of machines that Ghost wouldn't touch because they didn't have the correct boot in the the correct boot environment drivers to get it you know loaded up and ready to go. Um, so Clonezilla kicked the crap out of Ghost, and then uh, shortly thereafter I found Fog, and then Clonezilla lost to Fog. So it's kind of entertaining that, you know, they found a great tool that I still use today in Clonezilla, but then to, to see it be uh, super superseded, yes, whatever, uh, to, to see it beat up by Fog and, and now have a, a prominent place in our server racks, and uh, as far as my, my boss says, it'll never leave unless they find a better. And then this is a bigger, better tool out there that we just don't know about yet. But I have a hard time believing that because fog is monsters. If you manage more than five machines, you must learn about and, and deploy fog. It will change the way you work, period. Uh, was it from my show that you found out about fog, Chris? No, I found out about fog from a different show. Okay. And then, uh, well, actually, I stumbled across it once or twice looking for something to replace Ghost. And then uh, I heard a show, and they, they mentioned it in a quick little blip. And then the next show down that I listened to is your show, Mark, the Tightwad. And then I'm like, well, if that's what it can do, let's see what it'll do. And I loaded it up as a test run, and, yeah, it hasn't left the system since. Yeah, we had the developers, uh, uh, Chris and... Uh Jim, no, uh, Chuck and Jim, on the show, uh, I think three times throughout the course of the show. And uh, that that Fog episode, I think it, it goes way back to like episode four or five, way back there. It's still one of our most most downloaded ones, even to this date, because uh, they've got it on the Fog website. Check out the, the interview here. And they really go into all the inner workings about it. Um, that's that's and then the more people I can turn on to it, the better. I, I'm a frog, uh, fog, <laughs> frog. I am a fog proselytizer. I will tell 
everybody I can about it because it, it you know it changed the way I do my my work. Oh, it changed ours too. We we no longer try to clean machines anymore. Now it's oh that's broken. Boop. It's now fixed. Right. <laughs> I I love doing it. Like I'll have a teacher call me up and say, "Oh, so and so got this machine in the lab infected, and it spread to a couple of the other ones." How long are we out of the lab until you can get it fixed? And I go clickety clickety boop, and now all of them are reimaged and rejoined to the domain, and no more infection. And I go, you can have it back in an hour. Have fun. Yep. Great stuff. Um, my uh, probably second uh, favorite hack was uh, Seth will know about this one. When I use Linux to de- to uh, deploy Windows to about 800 students um, using P100s, old, old. Um, actually, they may not, now that I think about it, they may have actually been 486. They may have been that old uh, machines. And I did that through um, Puppy Linux. Puppy Linux, I rolled my own sort of special hack that I called a chubby client. It wasn't a thin client. It wasn't a fat client. It was sort of a chubby client. So it was a... Um, it used it booted free DOS, then used Linload, a, a DOS program that loads a Linux kernel, to bootstrap Puppy Linux to take it to a desktop to launch our desktop to attach to a Windows terminal server machine, and then the then all of that took you know a few you know forty five fifty seconds or whatever, and then the user was working as far as they knew on Windows. So that was my favorite hack. I had Linux all over the place and nobody knew it. And I was using these old crap, I mean old computers that could barely even function. But they were loading up uh, Puppy Linux, which I think took something on the order of four megs of RAM, not gigs, megs of RAM at the time. It was tiny. Uh, it was it was back in the days it was still would fit. Uh, wow, Google Hangout is just going nuts on me. Sorry about that. Uh, it was back, it was uh, Puppy Linux initially, initially would fit on a floppy disk. Uh, it doesn't anymore, but it was it was just right after it had come out of that range. It would still fit on a single CD, so it was it was small. It didn't take up much space at all, and I was able to just sort of build this hack that allowed students to have access to Windows because they needed Windows to do their you know their stuff, their statewide testing and all that sort of stuff. Um, uh, but they were able to do it on Windows uh, uh, on Linux rather and use Windows. So that was that's probably my second favorite hack. Yeah, I came to work with Mark. I had been, at this point, I had like six or seven years Seth, in I can IT. I see you talking, but I don't hear you. Did you mute yourself? Oh, sorry. Yes, I forgot. Okay. I muted myself. Uh, but yeah, I came to uh, I came to work with Mark in Honey Grove. Uh, I'd been, I don't know, six or seven years in the IT field. And I go into one of these machines and I go, what the hell is this? Because I had <laughs> no idea what it was doing or how it was doing it. And he showed me what it was doing and at that point i just became i became a huge puppy fan i was like puppy is like the greatest distribution ever uh and i you know it's still in my toolkit bag of tricks to this day i i just love using it so it it was amazing and what he did was it today it's still remarkable but back then it was it was freaking amazing yeah, so it was it was this great uh, install process that I created. Um, it would uh, 
it was a DOS batch file. Who uses those anymore? That would format the hard drive uh, using all open source tools, format it, partition it, uh, install the Linload on it, install the, the compressed puppy packages on it, um, set the boot sector, do all that, then delete every trace of itself and back out again, and then reboot so that uh, you would go straight to the Windows terminal session. So the whole thing took maybe five minutes tops to turn an old clunker into, at that time, a modern workstation. So Linux to the rescue on that one. Yeah, yeah it was really awesome, it was Mark. really cool. Uh, of course, that's that's been deprecated as uh, better hardware and better things come along, but uh, it was great for a time. By the way, the new Hangouts feature that the whole updated thing, it's kind of sucking right now. Just thought I'd mention just, that. Thank you for little. the update, Google. Yep. Um, Way to go, Google. Right, you Seth, screwed ba- this one, too. <laughs> Back to you, Seth, if you've got another one. Uh, no. Like I said, most of mine are just revolving, you know, Trinity Rescue Kit. Uh, Gparted in the Puppy CD that works great for me. Occasionally, just pull up a Linux distro to access some Windows files. Uh, that's about it. All right, Chris, you got another one? Yeah, I got a couple actually. Uh, the first one I'll bring up is uh, we have a we had a class or two that that would need a um, a web server, and one of the kids didn't want to use the Windows web server client, they wanted to use something else, but no one knew how to set one up. And I never was told about it. And then one day someone made a passing comment that, you know, one of these kids needed a PHP server and they didn't know how to do it. And I'm like, uh, that can be done in like 10 minutes. Give me a second. And set up a, a, a quick little lamp server and said, here, there you go. Have fun. And walked away. And then, <laughs> and then to find out that, They've been chomping at this problem for a week or two, and then for me to go here, here you go, bye. Yeah. All you had to do was ask, to have, right? Yeah, yeah. It was it was that simple moment of oh, you need that. Hold on, click, 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 click. Yum, install lamp, and poof, it was done. And yeah, it was kind of nice. <laughs> the other I, one I'll bring up is uh, this will be my last one, Mark. But it we were. A couple of years ago, we started trying to figure out a better way to save some money at our school district, and we're tired of having. You know, I think we're up to like thirty different servers in our in our environment, and so you know, physical servers. And uh, we we went and saw a couple of different virtualizing uh, workshops, and they're like, "Well, this works great with EXXI," and I was of the assumption that EXXI is a full paid for product, and there was no free version. So I went out and started looking for a free version and found Proxmox and went, oh, this is awesome. So then I uh, threw it on in a, a workstation that had, oh, I think it's a Core 2 Duo or something that inna- that had the virtualizing scripts built into the, the processor and then uh, pointed my boss at it and said, here, look, we can do it too with this little itty-bitty box. And uh, we loaded it up with... Oh, I don't know, three or four XP workstations and a uh, the Linux server version of the Team. F- uh, what is it? It's a video game. It's a video game. It's a uh, Team Fortress Two, in uh, as a server, and said, "Okay, we have these four workstation and this Team Fortress Two server running on it. How long? You know, how long is this bottleneck going to kill us?" And to find out that. 
you know the the four window server the four window desktops and the team fortress 2 public server could run on this little dell core 2 duo workstation and not even flux at all it, yeah. it the, yeah, i was just i was totally impressed with vming after that and now we are slowly moving over everything over to uh, EXXI now that we found out there's a free version that the school district can use. Yeah, what Proxmox what makes it great is it's a it's a closer to a pure hypervisor. You're not it's not like virtual box where you're emulating the hardware all over again. It uses the the hardware and just sort of partitions it out. So you get really yep. great performance like that. I I love Proxmox. EXXI is similar to that. Um but Proxmox, man, if you're doing it for for as a test run or looking for something that isn't quite so proprietary, Proxmox is the way to go. And then my last one is is really it's one story, but it represents a hundred others. Uh, there was one day when the uh, where I worked, the school where I worked, the elementary principal came to me and said, uh, "We've just in pay, purchased this new software," and. The company is coming to do training on it Monday. This was, say, Thursday. Uh, coming to do training on it Monday, and we need you to install this, quote, on the server um, and and have it ready so that they can do the training of our teachers because we're shutting the school down for a day, doing a full day of training just on this one program because teachers, uh, principals believe that, that uh, you can spend money on one program and never have to teach again. Um, but that's a soapbox moment. And so I said, okay, uh, where's the server? I mean, did you buy a server for this? Well, no, you just need to put it on the server. What server? Well, just put it on the server. So I go reading the specs, and it requires a dedicated multi-core processor uh, with uh, something like 600 megabytes or uh, gigabytes of space um, and a dedicated – it it was going to have to be its own box. There's no question about it. And it was supposed to run on on Windows, and uh, you had to have uh, IIS something something. I don't remember. It just anyway, it it all had to be really uh, spec'd out according to their specs. It was going to be a big deal. Um, and I thought, well, <laughs> what are we going to do here? I I can't. I don't have the money to go out and buy this machine. And even if I did, I can't get it by Monday. Uh, and I was, you know, I, I was obviously very upset about this this situation. So I literally went back to my my pile of junk in the back room, started cobbling together pieces, pulled out an old chassis, pulled out a, a motherboard, and had a couple of processors. I put that together, threw some um, some disks in it that could aggregate in a in a just a clunky JBOD array to get me the space I needed. I threw Linux on it. I set up Samba. I threw it in a share, shared it out using Samba, and said, "Let's see what happens. Let's hope this works. Maybe it'll at least get us by, you know, through the training. Then I can go buy quote a real server later." We ran with that server for the entire lifespan of that program for about four years <laughs> until they stopped using it. I never touched it again. It ran rock solid, stable, did everything it needed to do on that Linux box, running Samba at zero cost. And so there, there you go. Once again, Linux for the win because you you can you can do that in Linux. You can take disparate hardware and kind of throw it together, and it can handle it. Uh, Windows, not so much. You know, you 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 have to have uh, a more lined out specs and more approved sort of things. But this literally bag of crap. It was just junk that I had laying around, just things that I hadn't thrown away yet. 
uh, surface service this. I, I don't want to say how much they paid for it. It was a lot. It was ten plus thousand dollars they paid for this program, and I was running it on a computer on a server that was worth thirty bucks. Um, and it worked for all the time that they used it. Never had a glitch with it. I never had to reboot it. And so that's another Linux for the win. And you know, tightwad mentality, right? I I kept that stuff, and I was wasn't afraid to try it. Other guys probably would have just gotten on their on the line to their Dell reseller and said, send me, send me a new machine, but I wasn't going to do that. I couldn't do that. I didn't have the, the resources for that. So I just uh, threw it all together and, and hope for the best and it worked great. So Linux has been exceeding my expectations for almost 20 years now. And like we say, Linux for the win. Every day, Linux. It really is something you can use every day. So those are uh, just some, you know, trip down memory lane that I thought might be interesting. We're, you know, three old farts in the world of technology. And uh, I often get asked, you know, how do you use Linux every day? And and I have to kind of answer, right now I don't. My my personal life and my per- professional life are such that I don't really use Linux that much. But it got me to thinking about how I have in the past. And, um, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff there. There are great stories of how Linux has, has literally, um, you know, bailed me out of a difficult situation <coughs> and, and has exceeded my expectations. I, I think if I had a, uh, you know, a, a sub title to, to this show, it's how Linux exceeds expectations on a regular basis. It's, it's, it's just sort of what they do, what it does. Yep. Uh, okay. Uh, enough pontificating for me. Let's move on to our tips of the week. Mr. Command line Godfather, I reinstate you to that title. Do you have a <laughs> command line for us this week? I do, I do. Actually, this is something you have to install. It's not built into anybody's system. Um, it, it's similar to if you're familiar doing LS to see a directory. And there, there is other versions of this program out there, but this is the one that I really, really like when I'm looking for a hardware issue. It's LSHW. And then I also add, add to the command a greater than symbol and then... Uh, the the path to a file, you know, a text file that I want, so I could put it into a text file, so I can read it easily instead of in the command line. Or and then I also have a record of every piece of the hardware, and it goes down. Not only does it tell you what the manufacturer is, but it also tells you what type of uh, firmware it has based in it. It, it just an immense amount of a treasure trove of information for your hardware that you didn't know was there but is, and you can actually use that to then troubleshoot out issues with your hardware if you're having them. Uh, I found out that one of my, the, the, the issue that I have currently with my laptop is based on one of the process, the processor in it um, is not being uh, implemented correctly. So that's part of the reason I'm having issues with most of my Linux installs on this laptop. So back when I was a Windows admin, I used a tool called Bellarc Advisor. That sort of did yes. the same thing. It sounds like it's the Linux version of that. Yeah, very much so. Uh, this th- I was I was shocked at how deep this tool digs through the information, uh, and how quickly it, it regurgitates it back out. Uh, if you wanted to add some more switches to it, you could actually specify if you only want it to have your network devices or your processor or PCI devices. Um, I know in past. To, in, in a couple of past tips, I've did LSPCI and LSUSB. Uh, this 
is like uh, those particular commands on steroids. You get 10 times the amount of information with LSHW than you did with LSPCI or LSUSB. You do have to install it, but uh, run it once, and you do have to be root when you run it. So uh, sudo it or or su it, but uh, you'll be amazed at the tool, the amount of stuff that comes back out of it. Good stuff. And Seth, I'm already chuckling as I look at your uh, tips, your links of the week. So without further ado, the Seth's weird stuff of the week. Uh, I'm giving people a two for one this week since I've missed the last couple, uh, two in the same theme. Um, This link, this first one is called Bacon or Beer Can. You just go there and click on which one you think the guy is saying. And the second one is hairpiece or herpes. Uh, it's the same thing. You just go there and you click on one and you try to figure out which one he's saying. Is he saying bacon or is he saying beer can? Is he saying hairpiece or is he saying herpes? Um, is it? Does it rotate through multiple people or is it just one? No, guy? It, it's it's just one guy. Um, if if you haven't if you haven't seen it, uh, you just have to you have to go. There's there's words cannot describe the awesomeness of uh, of I especially like the hairpiece or herpes one myself. The visuals I, I can't listen to it because I've got my sound <laughs> muted, but the visuals are just uh, Seth. I love you for this. This is the sort of stuff that only the gooey kid can bring to the show. Thank you, Internet, for having this, <laughs> and thank you, Seth, for finding it. This is awesome. Uh, my little tip of the week, um, if you follow me um, on Google+, Plus, I posted it there uh, and also on Facebook, but you can find, you can Google it. Um, Will Smith and uh, his son, what's his name? Something Smith, obviously. Anyway, we're on the Graham Norton show, an, an English talk show, and it's like four minutes of brilliance, hilariousness in that if you grew up. Uh, you know, in the 80s and 90s, you need to go Google uh, Will Smith, Graham Norton, and and find that on YouTube because it is brilliant. So that's my um, bonus tip of the week. Jaden Smith. That's right. Jada Pinkett Smith is the wife and Jaden is the son. Thank you, Nidusin. I'm guessing that's how you say your name. Um. <laughs> It's, it's, I can't, I, there's spoilers here be dragons. I can't tell you any more about it, but just Google it. It's awesome. I will, uh, in fact, put the link in the show notes, um, for you. But anyway, there you go. That's, uh, that's our weird links of the week and our, uh, tech tip or, or command line tip of the week. Um, if you would like to have your voice heard on the show as well, uh, you can do that by going to elementop.com, clicking the Contact Us button at the top of the page, or you can use the Call Us widget, and you can literally have your voice be heard, as Wise One did last week when he called out the command line godfather on the air. Um, or you can always just email us, uh, edl at elementop.com. We um, love hearing from you. Uh you know, we love having that show filler, uh, and we love being able to be helpful. So if you've got a question and we can answer it, uh, I can guarantee you can answer it. No guarantees as to whether or not the answers will be correct. 
but you will get an answer. Uh, so but they will be funny. <laughs> we will try to make them funny. I I can't promise that. Uh, so elementop.com. Also, there's forums there. Great conversation goes on there in the forums. Don't forget those. Check them out. Uh, you can also find us on uh, Google Plus and Facebook and Twitter and all that. Uh, but really, it's our website where we hang out. That's that's where the interaction happens. So we encourage you uh, to go check it out. Thanks for uh, being with us once again for another hour and a half of frivolity this week. Uh, as always, we, uh, we appreciate our listeners. Chris, Seth, I appreciate you being with us. And uh, without further ado, I'm going to say that ends this episode of Everyday Linux. Everyday Linux.